this year is dedicated by uh, Beth Leitner in honor of Beth Epstein today. This is the Lord Torah. It's taken over by the iPhone. This is the future. The future, the iPhone will turn you off. I think it did. Yeah, more or less. Let's do this again. Okay. I wanted to, uh, Beth's father, uh, Mr. Leitman, was nifter several weeks ago. And uh, it brings to mind that when the yeshiva started, Yeshivat HaMiftar started, I, uh, we started, of course, a school for women, and Beth was one of the first students that we had. And uh, through Beth, I mean, of course, I met his father, her father, this Mr. Mr. Leitman, who wanted to help us. And there was this very rich and, uh, and influential person who worked, uh, who owned the building actually that Mr. Leitman, who was a lawyer, uh, worked in. Well, let, me, let me do this again. There was a rich, influential man and Beth's father. Beth's father offered to introduce me to rich, influential man in the hope that he would support the yeshiva and, you know, help us out. So I did that. I walked in, he arranged it, and I walked into the office, and he walked into like a, an office in front of the office. He looked at me, he turned around and he said, we're not interested in you, and he left. I always remember that. <laughs> now it taught me something about my effectiveness as a fundraiser, which has not changed in many respects. <laughs> so Mr. Leighton was the first one who set me on the path of not being a fundraiser. <laughs> he, had, uh, he had, still has today, a wonderful family. Beth is as she was. She was, in those days when she came to, uh, to the to brewery, she decided to become a party planner. You know, balloons and ribbons and what else you need for a party. That was not my strong point. I think it wasn't even a weak point. <laughs> it didn't get a rating at all, but she did it. And I think she still does it today. I mean, there's Beth and she'll, she'll tell me. She wrote me a note describing the uh, wherewithal of all her children and how everything's happening. There are other stories that I could tell about Beth, but I think we should learn a little bit about the parasha first. So, there's a pasuk. I, I mean, the uh, the story in Shmot, the parsha of Shmot Bobishalach, are wondrous stories, full of miracles, activity, action, change, something absolutely wondrous in all of these in all of these parshiot. And the last pasuk that describes Yitzhiat Mitzrayim, to my mind, I mean, we could argue about that, but we'll move on instead, is this one. At the end of Perak Yudalit, Pasuk Labad Aleph, Vaya Yisrael et Yadak Dola, 
I mean, every single word, every single word in the in the in the pasuk demands uh, reflection. Every single word, and they're all words that we know. These are words that even if you've only been in Ulpan a little bit, you'll get those words. Vayar Yisrael. They saw something. They saw something. And what did they see? They saw the Yad HaKedolah. And I've already mentioned to you that I think that the notion of Yad Gedolah equals Yad HaChazaka. Yad HaChazaka and Chazaka, strength, is a relative statement. It's like, like you have to measure strength against something. What in the case of in the case of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, when you say Yad Chazaka, it means something that there can be no doubt about. We know, we know that the that, that the Chartumim uh, in Mitzrayim were able to do some of the miracles entrusted to Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And it's hard to tell when it's a miracle whether it's miraculous, meaning some kind of a trick, although I can't really say that because you remember that Bilam, he was the real, real McCoy, uh, Bilam. Bilam was not a fake. He was, he was unable to act in the way that he, that Bullock wanted him to act, but he was not a faker in the sense that he was something special. So Yad Yadagdollah. Yaragdallah is something that you know. You see it. You, you witness it. You know that it's Yaragdallah. Now, how you know that basically, I don't know. But the Rambam also says, the Rambam also said, the Rambam had this sense that, that there were things that were absolutely impossible. We know the Ramban in his commentary on the, on the Chumash distinguishes between those miracles that were miracles because they took place in a certain time or because there was so much of them. But in fact, they were natural, like locusts. Locusts, everybody understands. And locusts are, uh, Mitzrayim is full of locusts, even to this day. So the fact that there's a locust is not a miracle. Is that the miracle that we're talking about? So it must be the amount of locusts, the number of locusts, the fact that the locusts are focused on Mitzrayim, but still, I could understand if I would lived in a world of Khartoumim, of magicians, if I lived in a world of Khartoumim, I could say, okay, so Moshe Rabbeinu, he's good with locusts, but maybe there are other people who are good with locusts, maybe that's not really it. So the Rambam says, the Rambam says that Kriyat Yamsuf, Kriyat Yamsuf, that was something that you knew no one else could 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 uh, could do. No one else could could do Kriyat Yamsuf except Hakadosh Baruch How the Rabbah knows that, I don't know. But certainly, it's the way the story is told. Even Makat Bechorot. Even if we say that Makat Bechorot, the, the statistical value of Makat Bechorot is not perfectly clear. Does it mean every single Bechor or just many Bechorot or the, 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 the princely family of Bechorot? But everybody, but you see in the Pasuk that they weren't impressed. Paro got to, to get together and said, okay, all your firstborn children are dead. Let's go get them. And they went to get them. 
They went together. In fact, they were so unconvinced. The Ramban mentions this at the end of Bo. The Egyptians were so unconvinced that, that the only solution was that they would all die. The army died. I mean, how is that? How is it that they did that? I've asked that question three times in three different Sheyurim, and I think that it's because, I mean, how did they manage to run after the Jews after Makat Becharot? It seems to me, it seems to me that, that, that they were unimpressed because they lived in this world of magic, and they imagined that Moshe Rabbeinu, who started out his career in Mitzrayim with a minor miracle, like turning the staff into a stake, was sort of like, so that's it, so that's what he can do. A minor miracle. So I think that Yad HaChazakah was the recognition that HaKadosh Baruch would do, could do what he willed in the world, and according to the Rishonim, that means the world that he created. It was the ba'alut, the dominion on the world, came because God created the world. Is that true or not true? I really don't know. But that's what the Rishonim, that's what the Rishonim say. How they understood it more precisely than that, I don't know. Asher et Hashem, okay? They saw or they feared. You know, it's like, like one of those double words. Resh Aleph Hey, Yud Resh Aleph, right? They're two words. Very often they look similar. They feared, they saw Et Hashem, and then it says, Vayaminu Bashem Uvemosha Abdo. What does Vayaminu Bashem mean? They, they adopted an article of faith. They adopted it because of what happened. And that article of faith must have made them ready to receive the Torah, right? They were able to receive the Torah because they had achieved something in faith. And what would, was it that they, uh, they uh, achieved? They achieved Vayaminu Bashem, Vayaminu, the word Vayaminu, Amen, right? Amen means yes, definitely, it is. That's the way it is. So what did they, what was it that they achieved with Vayaminu? Well, the promise that God made to Avram Avinu. I mean, that was the question. The question of, of Mitzrayim. The question the Jews asked in Mitzrayim as slaves. Right? Slavery means lack of independence. Lack of the ability to determine the future. All they had was a promise that was given to Abraham Avinu. And their question, the question they must have asked themselves day and night is, you know, as slaves. Slaves, they have no freedom. They don't determine their own future. And as slaves, they ask themselves again and again and again, is the promise enforceable? Is the promise intact? Are we going to get the promises made to Avram Avinu for progeny and for Eretz Canaan. That's what they asked themselves. And somehow the process of Yitziat Mitzrayim brought them to Vayaminu Bashem, that if God promises it, it will happen. There's nothing in reality that can shake that faith. Nothing. 
That's what happened as well. If you say, what was it that B'nai Yisrael had to accomplish in order to be worthy of receiving the Torah? Why is it that they had, they had to be slaves in order to receive the Torah? So the answer, I think, is that this idea, this idea that God and, and, and the nation of Israel stand in a certain relationship to each other, and that relationship is that God will do as God has promised in spite of the reality check Right, which seems to be contrary to that, that God, how could God promise anything if they are slaves? No, by Yaminu Bashem. And then finally, U Moshe Avdo. And who represented this lesson? It was Moshe Avdo. So there were two beliefs that had to be enforced in order to get the Torah. One was the belief that by Yaminu Bashem, that the promise that God made. The promise that God made to Avram Avinu and then repeated to Yitzchak and then to Yaakov that that promise would in fact be maintained and carried out by Kodesh Baruch The second thing that they had to believe was that there could be an agent, there could be prophecy, prophecy. And this is the Rambam is very big on this that there could be prophecy that was given to a, a man for the sake of B'nai Yisrael. And of course they had to believe that because otherwise there could not be a Torah in the world. The Torah came into the world by this prophet. So that this pasuk, this pasuk, in, in other words, Moshe Rabbeinu was a leader. He was the person who had connected new information from HaKadosh Baruch to B'nai Yisrael and they had to believe in Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's what happened. The promise and the belief in Moshe Rabbeinu took place as a result of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yitziat made it possible for B'nai Yisrael holding on to these two beliefs to be worthy of receiving the Torah. Not only to be worthy, it's not, the Torah was not exactly a prize. The Torah was also an obligation. But the obligation was from HaKadosh Baruch so, so that's what they had to believe. They didn't have much to go on. I mean, they were, they were enslaved, according to Avram Avinu, for 400 years, and according to the, the counting in, in Shemot, 210 years, but the 210 years were very severe, and so they might be equal to 400 years in a kind of normal situation, but HaKadosh Baruch decided that they couldn't take it. What if they couldn't take the slavery? Slaves, slaves are miserable, perhaps, but they, they, the, the owners of the slaves are interested in continuation, in continuing. They, will, they could keep working. That was, the, I, that was the idea. Nevertheless, Rashi, Rashi says, at the Yad you see how difficult this is. Yad remember I said, uh, what did I say? Gedola. Yeah. It says, Et ha-gvura ha-gedola she'asta yado shel ha-kodesh boruchu. God's arm, this is what Rashi says, God's arm did gedola and did gvura. Gedola, is, uh, gvura is power of some sort, ha-gedola, the big power. I mean, these are words that don't mean anything to us. Really, I mean, but they knew it. 
They knew that that was what's going on. So Rashi sort of excuses himself for not being able to clarify it more carefully. Many uh, adjectives can be connected to the word Yad. Yad can be big, can be strong, can be powerful, can be, you know, endless, endless. And they don't really explain to us what that means. Of course, uh, we understand strong and, uh, you know, these are all relative terms and are meaningful only in the context of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So Rashi says, You could you have many adjectives that come with Yad, Vikulan, Lashon, Yad, Mamash, Hein. So I don't know what this means. I don't know if Rashi is saying really what it sounds like Rashi is saying, that this is as though God really has an arm, and that arm can be big, can be strong, can be powerful, right? So that's what he says. Kulan l'shon yad mamash v'ha-mefashon yitakena l'shon achar inyan hadibur. So what you have to do is when you, when you see the word yad and it connects to God, you have to add a modifying uh, adjective which fits in to whatever it is we're talking about. So you could say yad chazakah about yitziat mitzrayim because uh, there were things that are a little difficult to imagine anybody doing, except for HaKadosh Baruch So that's the Pasuk. That's the Pasuk. That ends Yitziat Mitzrayim. The reaction of B'nai Yisrael, the reaction of B'nai Yisrael to Yitziat Mitzrayim, you look at the next Pasuk on the sheet, the next Pasuk on the sheet. Az Yashir Moshe B'nai Yisrael, so that's really a hard word, right? Shira. It's a hard word. For us, Shira, I mean, we can't imagine, you know, can't imagine it. Because, like, Shira to us means MBD and freed. That's called Shira. So now, it doesn't say in the Chumash that after. Kriyat Yamsuf, everybody went to a MBD freed concert. Doesn't say that. On the other hand, everybody knows that the orthography in the Chumash is special for this Shira, that the Shira is made up of stitches. Maybe you call them a stitch, I think is a logical section, but it could be. Like, like a phrase, it, like you phrase it out, and instead of just writing it out like prose, you write it in short pieces, like poetry, and uh, in, the, in the Gemara it's called, you can either do it levena al levena, or levena al ariach. A levena is a stone, and ariach is also a stone. <laughs> So, so, so you know, Hazinu, you can check this out. It's in every printed Chumash, I think. I mean, I, that's, I shouldn't say that. It's in many printed Chumashim, right, including like the Korain Tanakh, and uh, that Hazinu is written Levena uh, Alevena, meaning you have a phrase, Next to it, another phrase, 
under the first phrase, a second phrase, under the second phrase, another one, one after the other, like that. Short, short pieces. No? So anyway, that's how it is. Shirat Hayyam, oh, it ends up as a column. It ends up as a column, yes, good. Shirat Hayyam is Levena al-Ariach, that you have two stitches, blah, blah, and then a third one in the middle. Then two long ones and a third one in the middle. That's called the Veina al Arik. Now I have no idea uh, what that means, uh, whether it says something about the content or says something about the event, but that could also be a definition of Shira. Right? Either sh- so, but that's not what it says in the Pasuk. In the Pasuk it says Azia Shir that this shira came as a result of the awareness that B'nai Yisrael had about Vayaminu Vashem over Moshe Avdo. The second shira that we mentioned, Hazinu, is kind of the shira of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? It's different. It doesn't come as a reaction to a particular event or understanding of B'nai Yisrael, but the second shira is more like uh, for teaching purposes. Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching B'nai Yisrael. And the Shira is lauded in the book of Tvarim as being something very significant. Unlike Shira Tayyam, which is not lauded for being something very significant, but we know that it is. We know that it is something very remarkable. But it's hard for us to understand how what the connection between Shira and Emunah is. Shira and Emunah. <coughs> it's a hard, it's a hard connection. I mean, you could say things, you know, you could always say things, but the things you say either are meaningful or they're not meaningful. It's not so easy to know. So what is, I want to know, what is this reaction that B'nai Yisrael had called Shira? Of course, it's not exactly B'nai Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu said it first, the B'nai Yisrael said it later, but you do remember you should remember that at the end of the Shira, at the end of the Shira Tayyam, Miriam uh, took up the challenge and came out with the women and symbols and, I mean, didn't sound like she had uh, the kind of instruments that you need to, uh, uh, to practice a lot. But, you know, this is what they did. This is how they did it. They did it with, uh, with uh, percussion. Uh, instruments. Percussion instruments are not, uh, are usually the easier ones. Easier ones to, uh, I remember the first year of the yeshiva when those were the days that every yeshiva had to have a band. It was very uh, important because it indicated something about something. So they, they wanted me to join the band, which I was happy to do, but I wasn't, ha- I wasn't willing to practice. So that was not such a great, the results were not great until somebody found me a pair of Chinese symbols. Symbols as C, Y, like symbols, you could bang them together, make a very nice sound, and you didn't have to practice. Whatever you do, I still have the symbols. I still own those symbols. Anyway, I don't know what it means. I don't know whether anybody, anybody knows what the emunah in the, that is expressed in the shira is. However, 
What I wanted to share with you is something that Reb Nachman says. Reb Nachman says in a very significant Torah, if you turn the page, I don't think we'll have time to do the other things. If you turn the page, you see that Rav Nachman, you know, Rav Nachman was uh, obsessed by the notion of tzaddikim. Tzaddikim are people like Moshe Rabbeinu, people who know about emunah, people who can lead me on the path of emunah. Right? It always is a question not of, of the individual, but how the individual can affect the community. And that's what Hasidut, to some extent, was based on this idea that there are people in the world who have the answer, and it's important to connect to them. It's important for them to let them connect to you. Right? This is a very important kind of, uh, of a modus that, that exists. It's, it's not like today. Not like today where most leaders of Hasidic communities are like CEO of the community. You know, they're like, they're, they're people who worry about the community, but organizationally. They worry about the schools, they worry about the health, they worry about the social setting. All of that is the worry that the, uh, that the leaders have. But originally, I mean, early in, in the Hasidic kind of uh, uh, Hasidic history, they, they, they were very focused on tzaddikim. And since Rav Nachman thought he was one of them, he was very concerned about them. Let's see a little bit of what this Torah says. This is Sabach uh, Dalet, right? Torah Sabach Dalet. In Likutei Maharan 1. Right, Bukhuti Maharan is divided into two books. The two books are usually bound together today. But originally they were printed separately as two separate books. Today they're bound together. Now listen to this. Nigun is a melody. A tzaddik has a melody. Shehu bechinat Moshe. And the tzaddik is able in his melody to become compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. Hu ma'aleh et ha'neshamot min ha'apikor sut ha'zot shel ha'chalal ha'panui sh'naflu l'sham. He's able to have an effect on ha'apikor What's ha'apikor It's like, like Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman is cute. He says everybody knows that the world was created by God. So if the world was created by God, why should there be, ever be an ha'apikor Why should there be an ha'apikor so you know what Reb Nachman says. You probably know. You may have even heard it from me. That, that, uh, that when God created the world, this is the idea of the Arizal. Arizal, like, like a person who had overwhelming influence on the continuing thinking of B'nai Israel, especially Hasidut. How he did it, Vesichlit. He came to Tzvat, uh, before Tzvat, he was a Bachur Yeshiva, right? He learned, uh, he learned at Alexandria. He was born in Yerushalayim. He went to Alexandria because his mother was, uh, had no money. And she had a relative in Alexandria who did have a little money or a lot of money. I don't, I don't know. And he learned there. 
he learned, he studied Torah, both Nigle and Nistar. means the regular Torah that we learn today in yeshivas, and Nistar, Kabbalah. He also learned Kabbalah in, in Alexandria. In Alexandria. He was a Chavrusa of, this is like yeshiva, people know these words. He was a Chavrusa, Rabbi Tzalel Ashkenazi, who was the writer or the author or the collator of a great work called Shita Mekubetzet. And in fact, in the Shita Mekubetzet, which is kind of a standard yeshiva work, Rabbi Tzalel Ashkenazi quotes his Chavrusa several times, not about Kabbalah, about, uh, about halacha. They were studying halacha. So he did that, and then he went to Tzvat. When he went to Tzvat, there was already, there was in Tzvat a collection of people who were Kabbalists, led by Moshe Kodavero. He was the, he was the, main, the main personality. And somehow, in a short time, the Arizal overwhelmed them all by his knowledge, by his understanding, by the way he did things, and he became the head of the Chabura. Right? He took over the Chabura Itzvat uh, and became the leader and uh, even had a, a Talmud. You know, if you want to be great, that's a good thing to remember. You should always get a Talmud who will write down everything you say and even explain it from time to time. His Talmud's name was Chaim Vital. Chaim Vital became a Talmud. He was there, but he became a Talmud of the Arizal, and he wrote, uh, he wrote down everything the Arizal said, all the Minhagimah, the way he celebrated the holidays, etc., etc., and, uh, and they wrote L'chadodi, by the way. So if you like L'chadodi, it's because you have Hasidic uh, blood in you. Who wrote it? Shoma al Kabetz. I, I thought I made mentioned enough names, but I gave another name. Shoma al Kabetz wrote the He was one of the Chabura. They call what they call it Gurei Arayot, like the little, the little lions that surrounded the Arizal. Right? The, now the Arizal lived in Tzvat for a very short time. I mean, in our, even in our terms, a short time. He must have been thirty-seven when he died. And his effect on Jewish uh, religion, religious practice and cultural things was absolutely remarkable. I mean, there's no way, I'm not able to understand, even de facto, how he, how he did it. But he did it. I mean, it's, how many years so, ago was this? what? Uh, how many years ago was this? What, what, what years was he living? 1571. There you go. <laughs> Who's who's he and who's living? I mean, the Arizal. You mean the Arizal? Yes. Google it. What? Google, Google it. Okay, okay. Not now. But I have an answer. But you have to Google it. It's always with you. I'm not always there. So that means that uh, uh, 
Rosh Hashanah was different before his time because they because never had a Rosh Before the Arizal? No, no, they, they, I don't think so. They made a deal out of Kabbalah Shabbat. That was important to them. The, the fact that the Alkabetz wrote the Lechadodi, that's a line in the Gemara. But the fact that he made it uh, ten paragraphs, that's very nice, you know, but if you didn't have ten paragraphs, you could still make an ASIC out of it. It doesn't happen like uh, somebody writes a, a piece of uh, poetry and then everybody starts singing it. Everything takes, you know, takes its time. So the reason I'm telling you all this is that the Arizal said, I said this idea, had this idea. What, how did, where did HaKadosh Baruch Hu put the world that was created? Because before creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took up all the room in the world. So he created, the, he created this idea called Halal Panui, that HaKadosh Baruch, just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu was every place before the creation, he could have made a little space someplace where the creation could be put. And this had implications, that's what they put there, I'm not interested in trying to deal into the idea, but he had implications. This idea had implications, the implication of this idea, the implication of the idea of the Halal Panui, is that there, there is some, this idea that God is there and not exactly there. That God is not exactly there and God is there. Now, it's like hard to understand, but that's what he says. That's what he says. And so he comes to the interesting conclusion. He comes to many interesting conclusions, but an interesting conclusion he comes to in this Torah, Sabach Dalet, is that you don't expect people who learn Torah and people who know a lot about the Torah, you don't expect them to achieve the kind of clarity that you achieve. He didn't say this, I'm just adding it. You achieve in mathematics. Everybody knows in mathematics you're either right or you're wrong. You either prove it or you don't prove it. There's nothing, there's nothing to think about after the fact. But when it comes to Torah, it's all machlokas. It's all machlokas. You ever learned two daf of Gemara? You know that it's a machlokas. It's a machlokas means, and it's unresolved. It's an unresolved machlokas. That's what Gemara is, unresolved uh, machlokas. So in the unresolved machlokas, in the unresolved machlokas, there is uh, so there are two opinions. So there will always be two opinions. There are two opinions because even though later on we pass in the Shiloh, but the Psak is disconnected from the discussion. I, 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 know, I know that this is a little too short, but this is what I think is true. The Psak, the Gemara they wrote, you know, was printed in Vilna in 20 volumes. 20 volumes is a lot of volumes. And that's with Rashi and Tosvot and all sorts of stuff in the back. That, uh, that are difficult to read. And, and, and everybody thought that was reasonable. And the Shulchan Aruch was printed someplace else. It was a different, it was a different thing. And it was this Torah, that's the Gemara. The Torah is the Gemara. And the, the Torah is a machlokas. Because when you try to get to the root of the divine a th- way of thinking about things, we just can't do it. We don't have that capacity, so it's reasonable, according to Rav Nachman, according to the Arizal, it's perfectly reasonable, it should be a machlokas of Hillel and Shabbat. 
There should be a machlokas of tanoim against each other. That's what the Mishnah is. It's a record of machloket. The record of machloket. So if you want to know what the halacha is, you don't learn it. Look at the Gemara. Look at the Gemara because the Gemara is in some way deeper than the halacha. The halacha is uh, what you have to decide. So you have all sorts of rules on how to decide what to do. What to do, but those rules don't bring you to truth. They're, they're arbitrary. Maybe they bring you a little, uh, you take a closer version, right? If you have, uh, so the, the, of Yosef Karo, he said, well, if you have the Rambam and the Rosh and the Rif, you can take two out of three. Two out of three, that's something to do with truth? What does that have to do with it? It's just, on the, it's based on the assumption that everybody is correct. There was Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo couldn't say, take two out of three, unless he thought that all three were correct. Because two out of three is not a method of analyzing the, the content of the material. It's just a way of organizing life. It's very difficult for us if no one's going to tell us what to do, that everything remains a machloket. So we have two worlds that we live in, even today. I'm telling you things that I think. I'm not, I'm not telling you things that anybody else, they might think what I think, but they might not. So there are two worlds we live in. We live in the world of Gemara, and we live in the world of Halacha. And they're different worlds. They're different worlds. The, 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 the world of Halacha is based of, of Gemara. Is based on the thought that we might be able to get closer if we thought about it a lot to the divine will. The world of halacha lives in a different way. The world of halacha is if I have three truths. Which should I take? Which should I do? So there, different kinds of rules take place. Different kinds of rules take place. So according to according to Rav Nachman, according to Rav Nachman, the higher level of analyzing God's will. We say God wants us to keep Shabbos. What's Shabbos? Think about it. So the higher level of analyzing God's will is Shira. Shira because it doesn't have any words. Shira is a song. It doesn't have any words. You're not saying the words because the words are important. You're saying the words just to give you a basis for the, for the song, for the shira. Why is the shira more important than the words? Why is the shira? So I think that it's because, because shira is not corruptible. You see, words, words are a problem. Where's the father? You, you say a word, say a yad chazaka. You know, you have 10 people sitting in the room, but it could translate their own way. And they'd all be right. They'd all be right so that words sometimes make it difficult to approach truth. If there is such a thing as truth, I mean, that, you know, as we believe, the truth being what God wants of us, what God thinks we should be doing how we could connect to God. All that has to do with truth. But it's very hard to get to that through words. We can get to a little bit. We can get to, to human interaction. We can get to 
That's words. That's words, but the words themselves make it difficult for us because the words are never clear. They're never unique. They're never only a pshat and, and nothing else. Those words, they're not like that. So shira is an attempt to go beyond the words. Something you could do together. Everybody who went through Kriyat Yamsuf can think about the add-on to Emunah together at the same time, especially if they're led by Moshe Rabbeinu who really knew how to sing. He really knew. And that's what the Rav Nachman says at the beginning here. I'll read it again. The melody of the, of the righteous one Moshe. That's what Moshe. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. He was pulling them higher. He was pulling them higher, but he had to do it with Shira, who malet min hapikorsit. So he said, he said, what about hapikorsut? You know, in the Chalal Panui, uh, this is a different story. But he said, basically, you can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of it. Uh, he says, he says, there's a Mishnah Pirkei Avot, right? The Mishnah Pirkei Avot says, Da Mala Hashiv Lapikaris. It's good to know how to deal with Apikaris comes along and says, blah, 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 blah. So you have to be able to say, psh, psh, that's wrong and that's wrong and the other thing's wrong. And that's very popular today. If you look at the YouTube, your YouTube. I look at, I look at it from time to time and, and they're always willing to tell me the truth. For somebody, there's always somebody who's like selling the truth. Rav Nachman said, Dama la There are two kinds of apikarsi. You talk about apikarsi who don't know what they're talking about. You know, they just talk. So he says, that you should, you should like learn how to deal with that. You know, people talk, they mess everything up, they confuse other people. Dama la But you have to be able to recognize who is talking from the authority of the halala panui of the empty space in which it's hard to find God, he says, that's a real apikoros, and stay away from him. That's Rav Nachman. So if you look again, you look again, uh, I see where the arrow is. This is not my arrow, but it's a good arrow. Zeh, az yashir Moshe. He says, this is all contained in the words, az yashir Moshe v'amu Zichonam libracha, Yashar lo neemar, ela yashir, Yashar, 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 I'm sorry, Shar? I'm sorry, it's okay, okay, Shar lo it's not like past tense, ela yashir, ela yashir, and so Chachamim said, when's yashir, when's it going to happen? Mikan, Triata Meitim in Torah, that we all know that the only proof that the Torah contains or indication that Triata uh, Meitim, that such a thing will exist, is from these words, Az Yashir Moshe, when Triata Meitim. Shalom Emar, Leyashir, Mikan, Litriata Meitim in Torah. Shatid Moshe. That Moshe Rabbeinu will sing again because it's not finished. 
the song of understanding, the following of Moshe Rabbeinu is not finished yet. It's only just started. Gamkein ki kol hashirot ben shel olam hazeh ben shel Moshe. Only Moshe achieved that state of shira. Shehu bechinat shtika. Hu bechinat shtika. What is shtika? Silence. What is silence? The words don't cloud up your vision, what you're saying. And just like poetry sometimes, sometimes, gets you beyond the words, right? Just like prose gets you beyond your words into the words of the great authors, right? The use of words changes your attitude to what's going on. The same thing is true. It's like a, a ladder. There's poetry, and then there's music. And music has no words, and therefore it has an advantage. Only Moshe Rabbeinu has these songs. No words. You know, the, the, the dots were not put in by Rav Nachman. That's what emunah is. That's what emunah is. It, it's something where you can't corrupt it by words. It's true that sometimes the words help you. I mean, you have to daven Shemona Esrei, and, and you need the words because you're busy and you're tired and you, you, you're willing to put in the effort, but that's a limited amount of effort. You can't do, you can't do more than that. This is the Rashi that's on the first side of the page. Also, Yashir, who yud, al sheba machshava ne'emra hainu b'chinat Kach Allah b'machshava. Kach Allah b'machshava. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, I can't explain it to you. Right? Do you remember what Moshe Rabbeinu was asking about? He saw Rabbi Akiva. And he was Doresh, Tilei Tilim Shel Halachot. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what's going on? I'm the one who brought the Torah into the world. Kach Allah b'machshava. I can't explain it to you. I can't explain it to you because words whatever the words would be, would corrupt the idea. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, according to Rav Nachman of Bratzos. Rav Nachman says, listen, we have certain ways of communication, right? Well, there are words, and there is shira. And shira, because the nature of words is to corrupt things, it's hard for the words to say, to describe or to assess emunah. We have to go to a non-corrupting source, and that non-corrupting source is smira, shira, things that don't have words, that don't have words. I know that the shirat ayam has words, but you know what Rav Nachman says, that az yashir Moshe it's about the endlessness of our commitment to emunah, about the fact that you could say it better, 
that you get to a higher level. Okay, Ashir Hashem ki ga'o ga'o. If you look at the Rashi and look at the Ramban, you'll see, you'll understand that this is what they could do. They did it. They did something that they couldn't do before Yitziat Mitzrayim. They could only do it now that they had been Yitziat Mitzrayim, that there was a, a commitment there was a commitment to emunah that they accepted upon themselves the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always trustworthy and true and that Moshe Rabbeinu is the agent that would make it all, all take place. So these are the psukim. These are the psukim which reflect the end of the process and, and the next week's parasha Yitro is the parasha Batan Torah. They already have accepted their commitments to Rabbi Amin Hashem Moshe Avdo, and according to Rabbi Nachman, the Azi Hashir Moshe, which will be repeated according to Rashi by uh, uh, by Hakadosh by, by Moshe Rabbeinu Olam Haba. Olam Haba is the more perfect version, right? The more perfect version of Olam Hazeh, where where the things that you do because uh, you might be in pain or you might be uh, uh, simplifying things will become more perfect. More, more reasonable, and that's the that's the uh, the idea of Allah Rabbah. Have a good Shabbos.